at someone. See, I'm sitting in the chapel. You guys have got years on the clock, many years for someone to do something like that to you. Yeah? But even at 43, which is my age, I've got a few of those in my background. I remember sometimes that people have hurt me and upset me, offended me, and impacted me. And uh, today is the day we're going to talk about what happens when this kind of stuff happens. We're going to talk about forgiveness and we're going to talk about it specifically in the context of the church because healthy churches are forgiving churches. We know that for a number of reasons. One, because the scripture tells us that. The scriptures teach us to be a forgiving people. And so we know that we're under the instructions of God himself through his people to be forgiving. But we know for another reason why healthy churches are forgiving churches. What is it? We've seen the impact of unforgiving churches, haven't we? The longer you live and the longer you see church, the longer you see offence, the longer you can see the destructive power of unforgiveness. Am I right? Yeah, unforgiveness is destructive. As Jill shared here about the kids, I will never forgive and they get all wound up. I've seen adults in the same boat. In fact, I've felt like that myself once or twice. So we're going to talk about forgiveness and forgiveness within a healthy church because we want to be that, don't we? Thriving, living, growing, healthy, godly bride prepared for her room. Should he return even in our lifetime? And so we are looking at the passage, and I think downstairs haven't read it, but it may go up for you guys. Otherwise, look it up on your devices and in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 2, 4 to 11. And here is Paul's story or letter to the Corinthians church. It's the second letter. There's been other conversation. Paul's been there before. And we get the general gist that, that we're on one side of the line, hearing one side of the conversation, but there's another side on the other side we haven't got all the information about. Am I right? Paul refers to an incident, a person, a brother who's been excluded and how it's time to bring that brother back into the family. It seems, say it says commentators, that this brother has been excluded because he offended and hurt Paul and the whole church got offended on Paul's behalf. Because that's what happens with unforgiveness, isn't it? Do you know what they did to me? <gasps> oh, I can't believe they did that. Do you know what I'm saying? And from one to the next to the next is a trickle of offence as everyone stands beside the brother who is the sister person who's been offended or hurt or damaged. Even if it's legitimate, it becomes a pain or a wound in the whole church when this kind of thing happens. And that's what happened, it seems, in Corinth, that somebody had done something against Paul and the whole church or the majority of the church were upset about it. And in our passage today, Paul seems to have already forgiven this guy. But the church is still cranky. They're still upset. They still think, well, I'll never trust. I can forgive, but I won't forget. Which is, in fact, not forgiveness. Not really, is it? 
And so Paul is calling people, inviting them, encouraging them, and in fact, really commanding them to be people that practice forgiveness and welcome back into the church. And as we read this, we could sit back on our laurels and say, wow, what a terrible church that Corinth church was. I mean, of all the messes in the New Testament, that's the one with which had all the mess. They were in competition. They were show-offs. They were, had such big egos. They were judgmental. and like, We could do that, couldn't we? Or we could say, perhaps, perhaps this is in the scripture because God knew every church has a season where we don't behave as we should. And so we are instructed from Paul's teaching around how we should behave. So why forgive this guy? Why bring him back into the community? And more personally, for us, why forgive and practice forgiveness? Why engage in reconciliation once more? Don't you have a right to be offended and not treated a certain way? Don't you have the right to stand your ground and say, I was right and you wronged me? And on one hand, it's true. People do things that are wrong. And people get hurt. That is not reason enough for us to maintain then an attitude of unforgiveness. And there are four reasons today why I'm going to say that. So the first one is this. Remember that you have been forgiven. The great tension of the conversation of forgiveness is that we may have been wronged and hurt and offended by somebody who did the wrong thing. And we may be very right to stand our ground on one hand. But we too have hurt and offended our good and great God. In Romans it says, while you were enemies of Christ. We think about Jesus as he hung on the cross, embodying words for those that were present, but really words that covet the generations beyond. Father, forgive them. As he hung pain for the sins that had come and the sins that would come and the sinners in front of him, in that space, he practiced forgiveness. And you and I are the recipients. Not because we deserved it, not because we got it right, not even because we said sorry for everything. Even with that confession, God has forgiven us. Now, for us to receive that, we've got to process confession. We've got to go to the cross and acknowledge a journey. But even without that, the heart of God has forgiven us. Punishment has been laid on Jesus. And we are free. In light of that great forgiveness, the Apostle Paul says, how can you hold a debt against somebody else? Jesus told the great parable, and many of you will know it, of an unforgiving servant. You know, the great master forgave the servant of probably billions of dollars in today's money, the commentators say. 
And then as the servant went away, he found someone who owed him tens of thousands of dollars. And he sent him to jail until he paid the debt. And, and then the king found out and sent the first servant to jail too. When we have been forgiven so much, Jesus is teaching us, we must pass that on freely if received. Two, you will feel better if you forgive. Now, I know you don't feel like that to be true. And I don't feel like that to be true when I'm cranky. I feel really good being angry. It's like a good scratch, isn't it? You know when you've got an itch and you want to just have a good... But the Apostle Paul says, forgive and forget. You see, love keeps no records of wrong. That's Forgiveness is actually not just saying, well, I forgive you, but I'll never forget. It's saying, I will no longer hold this on your chapter against me. I will no longer hold this. That is what love does. And it makes us feel better. But we'll get to that in a second. I do want to make a couple of important points around this. Forgiveness does not mean there are no consequences for inappropriate action. We live in an era, and I raise this a lot because we are living in the post-era, but many of us grew up in the era, of the Catholic Church inappropriate behaviour. And for years they covered it and shoveled it under the carpet and shifted people from one place to another instead of taking them to the law where they should have been judged for their crimes. Am I right? There is justice and there ought to be justice for the wrong things have been done. Forgiveness doesn't mean you don't report abuse or you don't move away from dangerous people or you don't um, set boundaries in place. That's not what forgiveness is. not You can be a doormat and let everybody walk below you know that it is appropriate to have justice. It is appropriate to set boundaries. And it's appropriate to lament over what's been lost. Sometimes in forgiveness we want to jump straight to forgiveness and not actually go through the process of grieving. And when people hurt us, when people cross us, when people break our heart and our trust, there is a sorrow and a lament that is appropriate. And it is okay to set aside time to engage in that. If you aren't sure about that, just read the Psalms. <coughs> Poor old King David. He had a lot of lament in his life. People who should have been able to trust hunting him down, promising to not get him and hunt him anymore and then starting all over again. And in his sorrow and his lament, instead of bottling it down and just being angry, he cried out to God. God met him in that place. We've got to learn not to shove it down like we were taught when we were growing up. That's it. Forgive and forget. But to bring that sorrow before God and to lay it there in all of its ugliness. And it is ugly sometimes. And look at each sorrow and loss with God and allow him to meet us in those places. And my experience 
is that as he dies, a work of healing takes place. But sometimes we're going to make a choice in the midst of that to forgive. Having laid it all out, then we hand it all over. And we say, I'm no longer going to carry this. When we do this, we begin the healing process. So three, forgive and release yourself and the other from the debt. The reality is that when we don't forgive, we carry the pain and the anger and the bitterness and the cranky and the resentment around in our pockets or like stones in our shoes. Ever had a stone in your shoe? I can't wait to get them. Even if I'm sitting down, I've got to get the shoes off and get the stone out because it hurts. Gosh, you know, it's even worse when you're walking, isn't it? A couple of pairs of sandals and they have holes and the stones just get in there. And I won't wear them sometimes because I hate stones in my shoes because it hurts. The process of forgiveness is the removing of the stone that is causing us pain every day out. Get it out and feel better. Sometimes we have to do this by the renewal of our mind. You know, Romans 12 teaches us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And sometimes forgiveness is a process. It's like an onion. It has layers. Do you know what I'm talking about? And actually each layer hurts your eyes if you peel them off one by one. But the reality is that sometimes we have to over and again say, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. And the little thoughts come into your mind. And we say enough and send the thoughts away and make that choice to forgive. And it is a process. But as we do, we don't spend hours wasting time cranking away in our hearts and our heads. Instead, we're free to think positively and full of life again. Not only do we release ourselves, but we also release the other. And on one hand, we might not want to release the other. At this point, we hit the very tricky challenge. This is the challenge the Apostle Paul recognised. You see, if God is able to forgive the other, God who is perfect, God who has laid down his life in Jesus for the other, then what makes us think we have the right to not forgive? Yes, crimes against us. More so crimes against God. And God's grace is extended to the people. And as the people of God, we practice the same attitudes as God. And in doing so, we allow reconciliation, freedom, second chances, new hope, liberation. These are things that we are called to be ministers of as the people of God. These are things that bring hope to the world as opposed to retribution, as opposed to getting revenge, as opposed to holding someone 
as a criminal forever in our own hands. Finally, forgiveness closes the door on the devil. The Apostle Paul is really clear on this. It's his closing line. We don't always talk about the devil from the pulpit, but it's really important for us to acknowledge that the powers of darkness operate in unforgiveness. The powers of darkness bind people up in unforgiveness. They distract people. They de-energise people. They bruise and keep on hurting people. They disorientate us. The devil is at work amongst division and disunity. In Ephesians we read, get rid of, rid yourselves of anger, malice, unforgiveness, disunity. We're invited to live a life free of the powers of darkness. We must choose life. For good reasons, don't you think? As a healthy church to practice forgiveness, Remember you've been forgiven. Forgive and forget you will feel better. Forgive and release yourself and the other. And forgive and close the door to the devil. I'm conscious that as I talk about topics like this, that there are some deep wounds that some people have. Wounds that maybe they have never spoken about. And I'm not talking about a bond of forgiveness. I'm talking about an attitude, a journey with God in the process of healing and restoration in forgiveness. And if you need to process that a little bit further, I want to put that out that we are really happy to meet and encourage you in this journey. But for all of us today, as we close and as we sing, I want to encourage us to be people who offer afresh any of those little things, those little rocks or angers or unforgiveness that might be just laying around in the mess of our heart. And to afresh today, choose an attitude of forgiveness. So we're going to close in prayer and then we're going to sing. And as we sing, I want to invite you to let that be your space and response. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be the courageous people of God. We practice the attitude of God in forgiveness. We know as a healthy church, when we hoard up anger, it poisons us as a body. And so, Lord, I ask that you will help us to lay aside, to lay down, to hand over the grievances we have with others, that we might be free that we might experience all of your grace afresh, that we might release others, and that we might close the door in darkness that seeks to divide and conquer. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this church. We thank you it is a growing and healthy church. May you continue, Lord, we pray, to grow and to flourish as we seek to obey your word, to put it into practice, and to live it out in our daily lives. In Jesus' name.